Hi, my name's Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now, after three years, five flight instructors, and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now, I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder eight out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot, and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school and just another way Part-Time Pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you and I hope you enjoy listening to the Part-Time Pilot audio ground school podcast hello 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 welcome into the audio ground school podcast i'm your host nick smith founder and creator of part-time pellet the online ground school for private pilots that we go through every single lesson here on the podcast for you for free we also do some listener questions and read up some reviews as you guys know before we get into lessons so in today's episode we're going to continue section 13 of the online ground school on before takeoff procedures. If you're in the online ground school, it's highly recommended because we have the written lessons, the visuals, the videos, and the quizzes. Plus, you got a lot of bonus content like live recorded lessons, our ultimate private bot test prep, PDF, flashcards, extra practice tests, all that stuff. But if you're following along, it's the step one course, the private pilot online ground school lessons. Go to section 13 on before takeoff procedures. Last week, we did pre-flight assessment and flight deck management. Today, we're going to talk about engine starting and taxiing to finish up this section. Before we get to that, though, let's read off a couple of reviews. I want to try to encourage you guys to give reviews, to subscribe to the podcast because it really helps us get seen and it's going to help us a lot. So it'd be really appreciated. So uh, without further ado, let's read off a couple reviews that we've gotten recently. All right. This one is from Chad. Chad says, five stars, highly recommend. The lessons are put together as a quick way to understand the material. There are several different ways offered to digest the material. Most people need repetition in order to comprehend and remember the material. I'm almost halfway through and won't take too long to get through the rest. Best of all, the material is geared to the part-time pilot. So an hour a day and you can get through it, then on to flight lessons. Chad, thank you so much for the review. I agree that that was kind of my goal was to make it easy to understand and have small lessons and bite-sized pieces because I understand that today's pilot to afford all this crazy stuff in the world, most people have to have a full-time job. They have kids, they have other stuff. So your time is of utmost importance. So that's why we provide these audio lessons, quick videos and explanations and bite-sized lessons. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't skip on detail. You can read the other reviews to make sure that we definitely go into detail on stuff. But the way we format it and stuff really makes it kind of bite-sized. We really try and do that. So thanks, Chad. Next one is from Maria. Five-star, good tools for aviation. I just started this program. It looks very professional, explains every step, and is immensely helpful for any student with no experience in aviation. Recommended. Short and sweet, Maria. Thank you so much for that. And I love to hear that any student with no experience in aviation can get in here and understand this stuff. So that's kind of another thing that we tried to do, right? There's students in here that do have experience and want that in-depth knowledge. We have to make sure that that's there for them. We also have to explain it in a way that someone with no experience whatsoever 
can understand what the heck we're talking about. And that's one of the things, actually, we were giving this out for free. Not sure if we'll still be doing it by the time this drops, but it, you can check out parttimepilot.com and look for free pilot tools in the menu. But an acronym and mnemonics guide. If you're new to aviation, there's a bunch of acronyms, so that can be very helpful. And then mnemonic devices to help you remember things. So those are all kind of things we do. We really harp on and provide a lot of that stuff for people who are new to aviation and to help people just remember this stuff because it is a lot. It's like a whole new language. All right, so thank you guys for the reviews. Again, if you want me to read off a review, you can go to trustpilot.com and search part-time pilot. Or if you have Apple Podcasts, subscribe to us there and leave us a review there. And I'll read off your review on the podcast episode. Okay, let's do a couple listener questions here. One is just sort of a awesome member anonymously posted in our Facebook study group, just a review of the FAA written test that they took. This is not them cheating or doing anything illegal. They just kind of gave us a review of the subjects that they were tested on. So I think that would be of interest to you guys because the FAA written has changed recently. Like I think in the spring of 2023, we saw a big shift and we actually did a live lesson which that recording of that live lesson can be watched in the ground school. We did changes they made, and then we've been getting feedback on some of the new questions that they're being asked. We have a live lesson on the updates, and then we have another live lesson on those new questions that are now updated in our practice test to reflect all these changes. We'll do that first, and then we'll get to one question. So this full disclosure, they didn't use part-time pilot. They're just in our study group. They did use it as supplemental, but they already had Gleam. But the bottom line is they say stay consistent in studying and it'll work out. If you understand the concepts, right, no matter what question you get, if you understand the concept behind it, you'll be able to be okay. But here's kind of a summary of what they had. No airspace questions, a few taxing and wind control position questions, two density altitude calculations, no weight and balance questions, one regarding telling ATC low fuel when contacting them, one basic med, one magnetic heading calculation, two VOR questions, true altitude questions, a crosswind tolerance question, a crosswind calculations question, a couple stable approach questions, a ground effect question, a lost on a cross country plan question, a couple ID frequency, you know, getting ID frequencies from your sectional charts, a question on go arounds, pre flight inspection question, ELT inspection question identifying traffic patterns from a segmented circle, night flight with passenger currency, right-of-way question, and engine fuel-related question. This is a fantastic summary of the FA written tests that they recently took. And with all that, you can go ahead and rewind that and write all that down because I think this is valuable. But please do not assume that your test is going to be like this because we get a lot of feedback. And I will tell you right now that Other people are getting, this person had no airspace questions. Other people are getting one or two questions on airspace. This person had no weight and balance. We know that weight and balance questions are still being asked. We've had other students that get one or two weight and balance questions. This person didn't talk about any cross-country planning calculations. We just had a student who got a question on magnetic heading. So part of the changes to the FA written is they used to kind of be heavy on airspace regulations and cross-country calculations and kind of like interpolation type questions. What they did is they removed a lot of those questions, the interpolation, anything that had interpolation, anything that had multiple steps of calculation, but that doesn't mean they're all gone. It just means there's less of an emphasis on them. So instead of getting four or five questions like that, you're going to get maybe zero, one, or two questions like that. So you still have to know that there's not as big of an emphasis. So 
Just because this person didn't get airspace questions or weight and balance questions doesn't mean that you won't. This person also got one basic med. We recently heard a student had three basic med questions on there. So it really is random and it's more randomized than ever. Before we used to kind of say, hey, look, know your airspace, know your cross country calculations, know your weight and balance. Those are going to be probably going to get 10 questions out of those three things. So if you bone up on those, that's a good chunk of your score, right? It's just completely randomized with every single subject. You could have anywhere from zero, one, two, or three questions on that subject. That doesn't make things easier, I know. But again, that's what our online ground school is for. That's what understanding these concepts is for. So no matter what question you get, if you understand the concept, you can go ahead and get the question right, no matter what. But fantastic. I wish this person was not anonymous because I would thank them, but they are anonymous. And let's go on to the next question. The next question says, what is the difference between an airport traffic control and an FAA air route traffic control? This is simple, quick question, but an airport traffic control, it's a good question. Airport traffic control would be the tower and ground controllers at the airport. They're physically located at the airport and control that local traffic. An air traffic control center or ARTCC is a station that controls a huge area of the country with in-route traffic. They mostly control IFR traffic and they would hand off traffic on cross-country flights from one area to the next and they may even hand you off to approach centers, departure centers, and even airport tower. So that's kind of the difference. The in-route is the air route traffic control and ARTCC and then the ATC at an airport is going to be the tower and ground. Good question. Good, quick, simple answer. Shouldn't be anything too confusing on that. All right. So with the reviews out of the way and the questions out of the way, let's get into today's lessons. Again, we're in section 13 before takeoff procedures and lesson three engine starting. And this again, in your step one online ground school private pilot lessons course of your ground school content. So let's get into the lesson on engine starting again. There is not much an online course can teach you about starting an engine except for a few tips, tricks, a couple general rules. But really, tips and tricks on starting an engine are generally different for each aircraft. If you hear of a tip for starting a specific aircraft, make sure that the tip you're executing is safe. Starting your engine without any difficulty can be one of the hardest challenges to master as a new pilot, especially these older aircraft or if you're in cold conditions especially in the morning when it's cold out the engine's cold hasn't been flown before makes it even more difficult and it can be really embarrassing right especially on your check ride if you can't get your engine started for example at the flight club that i trained at the aircraft were pretty difficult to get started in the morning and this was in southern california in the desert area of southern california my instructor taught me to pump the throttle two or three times to open the fuel line and get fuel into the chamber. While this helped a lot, it wasn't exactly safe and I didn't realize that until the FAA examiner told me on my final check ride. By constant, and also it wasn't in the approved flight manual. It wasn't the approved way to start the engine from the aircraft manufacturer. It was just something that this flight school and these instructors had come up with to, because otherwise it was just really, really hard to start the engine so i don't know what needs to happen in this situation i think maybe like an airworthy instructive for a procedure for this aircraft probably needed to be made because if you followed the approved flight manual procedure for starting the engine when it was cold out it just wasn't going to get started so there was additional there was some things that you needed to do so whether that you know the aircraft needs maintenance done on it or what directive needed to happen to change either a procedure 
to make that all that legal of what we were doing. But again, I didn't know that stuff. Examiner told me on my final check ride they could have failed me by not following the approved flight manual procedure for starting the engine. Uh, but by constantly pumping the throttle, you can create wear and tear on the throttle lines and valves. If enough wear and tear occurred, the throttle could crap out on you at the worst time, right? Take off or something or go around. This may also cause the engine to flood, making it impossible to start the engine until it is drained. The correct way is always to go by the proof flight manual or POH of your aircraft. If you're not going by that, maybe this is more common thing than I realize, but you need to, to ask your flight instructor in the flight school about this to make sure that on your check ride that you are able to start the aircraft easily and with the correct procedure. If I had followed the procedure in my approved flight manual, it would have told me to only use the three pumps of the primer for a cold start. That wasn't working for that aircraft. Anyways, I've already talked enough about that, but here is a trick for your check ride. Okay. If you have a check ride coming up and your aircraft is like the one that I had, where using the approved procedure just will not start the aircraft, you can get to your check ride early. Or maybe if someone's using the plane before you, then that's good. Get to the check ride early, start up your plane the way you know how that'll actually get it started and get that puppy warmed up. Or you could ask while your oral exam's going on, maybe you can ask your, the flight school or someone at the flight school to go warm up the aircraft engine before you. That way, when you get to it, it's warmed up. It's going to be easier for you to start. You know, any kind of little thing you can do to give yourself an advantage on that check ride. It's totally legal, totally doable. I would, I would do that. You know, nothing's worse than starting off your, your check ride flight with not even be able to, being able to start your aircraft. So just a little trick there. So the engine start procedure you should follow for your aircraft should again come from your proof POH AFM proof flight manual for that aircraft. However, here are the common steps taken to starting a single propeller internal combustion aircraft engine like the ones found on Cessna Skyhawks or Cherokee Warriors or others. So this is just an example, right? Don't go print this off and use this for your aircraft. You want to make sure it's the approved one for your aircraft. And if the aircraft doesn't have that, then you need to ask the owner of the aircraft. But this is just an example. Prior to start, you're going to do your pre-flight check. You're going to check seat belts and harnesses are on. You're going to check that seats and seatbacks are secure. Master switches on. Avionics master switches on. Radios set to ATIS. You're going to record the weather. You're going to turn off the avionics master switch. You're going to set the master switch off. You're going to set the radios to ground. Uh, fuel shutoff valve, you're going to set to both. Uh, electrical equipment, you want that all off. Circuit breakers, check that they're all in and set. Brakes, set and test. Pre-taxi brief, confirm, make that pre-taxi brief to any passengers. Uh, and then you want to start the engine. Mixture, rich, carb heat off, master switch on beacon light on, fuel pump on, prime as required, throttle open one quarter of an inch, propeller area check and call clear, then engine ignition start, oil pressure check in green, oil temperature check rising and not in high red, fuel pressure check, RPM set to a thousand, fuel pump off, avionic master switch on, radios on, transponder on slash alt, flaps up, mixture lean. Again, that is just an example for kind of the aircraft that I use during my training to totally be different. So make sure you use the one for your aircraft. While some engine start procedures may be different, it's important to follow the general flow of a procedure like this. Start with mixture rich to ensure you get enough fuel for ignition, beacon on and clear the area for safety measures and ensuring everyone knows you intend to start the engine. 
fuel pump on, prime the engine, and slightly open the throttle to ensure enough fuel for ignition. Not too much prime though, however, because it can easily flood the engine. After ignition, immediately set your RPM and check the engine gauges for anything unusual. This last sentence is important and probably the one thing you might get asked on your FA written exam about starting your engine. Let's see if there's anything else here. You might be asked, you know, where is the correct way? That's an approved flight man or POH. But after ignition, immediately set your RPM and check the engine gauges for anything unusual. So we talked about that in that example procedure. You know, setting it to a thousand RPM might be different for your aircraft, but you want to set that to a safe RPM for where you're at. And then you want to check the engine gauges to be for anything unusual, like high temperature or lack of oil pressure or something like that. All right. And that's the first thing you should do after starting an engine. That's going to be the question on the FA rating exam. Short and sweet lesson. Let's move on to the lesson on taxing. It's going to be a little bit longer because we're going to get into some of the wind corrections for taxing and stuff like that. So let's get to that right now. Part-time pilot is well worth the money. It definitely was for me as a full-time worker with other obligations outside of my job. The content being made available online through audio and video format as well made for a great and flexible learning experience. It definitely helped me pass my FAA written. Thanks, Nick. Taxiing is a simple procedure, but should never be taken lightly. This is also one of the first chances after the engine start that the FAA examiner has at examining your ability to safely pilot an aircraft. Here are some things to keep in mind before and during taxiing. Are all required seatbelts and harnesses secured? Uh, this should be done before taxi. Do you have the most up-to-date taxi diagram with you in the aircraft? Should be done before you even get to the airport. You want to have the diagram out while getting taxi instructions from ground control and visually move your finger along the path you will take to taxi before you go as they read off your taxi instructions and then you read them back. You want to have and you want to make sure that that is up to date, that the taxi diagram is up to date. Something your examiner might check on during your check ride. When taxiing a small single engine aircraft, you never want to exceed a speed of about 10 to 12 knots. This is similar to the speed you would have during a fast or brisk walk. You want to avoid confusion with taxi directions. If there is any possible confusion with your taxi route or traffic, never hesitate to slow down and ask ground control for more information. And remember, you can always ask for progressive taxi instructions. Progressive taxi instructions are where basically they would give you one thing at a time. They would say taxi to Bravo. And then once you get there, then they would tell you again the next step. And that's kind of progressive instructions. Do not get distracted. Some FA examiners will ask you a bunch of questions during taxi and even ask if you can calculate something. Get something out of your bag or look at a map or your iPad or something. Before you even begin taxiing, a good trick on your check ride is to tell your examiner or any passenger for that matter, you know, we want to treat them as a passenger, that during taxi, you need to stay focused on the radio and the action of taxiing and that they should keep their talking to a minimum and only talk if it's a safety of flight type of issue. So if you say that, you're essentially telling the examiner to shut the heck up and let me safely operate the aircraft. And that's kind of like a cheat code to be like, look, I have a legitimate reason for safety of flight per the FAA for me to not answer your questions. And that's kind of what they want to hear. That's kind of like a trick. 
they might really want to know the answer to the question. So you might have to answer that later. And let's say, let's say you do say that during the pre-takeoff brief, you know, don't say anything. And then they still, this is what happened to me. They still ask you some questions. Just politely say one second. Just want to make sure that I get to taxi safely uh, to the run-up area and I'll answer your question in the run-up area. So that's what I did. I said, okay, I got to the run-up area. I parked, made sure the aircraft was in a safe position. I said, what was your question again? And then they asked it. Actually, I think what they did is like, I, he, my examiner said, I forgot the question. Just go ahead and continue. <laughs> it worked out for me that I didn't even have to answer their question. Okay. And then, uh, are there any crosswinds? Winds can affect your aircraft during taxi as well. This is why aircraft are tied down when not in use. A high enough wind can tip or flip an aircraft over and cause severe damage. If you've looked like areas with hurricanes and tornadoes and stuff, there's some horror stories of aircraft, even when they're tied down. You know, they're meant to lift in, in wind, right? So if you get enough wind, they can lift up. And if it's just on one wing, they can completely flip them over and really damage aircraft. Hold your wind corrections during the entire taxi. And then it says see below for wind, wind corrections. That's what we're going to talk about next is taxi wind corrections. While taxiing with a wind stronger than a few knots, you should constantly have your ailerons and elevator in a position to minimize the effect of wind on your aircraft's lifting surfaces. For example, in a tricycle gear... That aircraft with a nose wheel, so not a tailwheel aircraft. If you are experiencing a direct headwind, no action is needed. If the headwind is from your left or right, you want to minimize the lifting effect on the wing closest to the wind direction. And you want to do this by having that wing's ailerons up. If you are experiencing a direct tailwind, you'll want to minimize the lifting effect on the elevator. You want to have down elevator. That's how you do that. If the tailwind is on your left or right, you'll want to minimize the lifting effect on the elevator with down elevator and the wing closest to the direction of wind with ailerons down. The easiest way to get your examiner's good side during a chuck ride is in complete control during pre-flight engine start and taxi. So that includes having taxi wind corrections accurately inputted. An easy way to remember wind corrections for nose wheel aircraft is to fly directly into a headwind and dive directly out of a tailwind. For example, if you are experiencing a quartering tailwind from the left side, you would dive directly out of it by pushing the yoke down and turning it to the right so that your elevator goes down, your left ailerons go down, and your right ailerons go up. And for a headwind example, say you have a headwind coming at you from the left. In order to fly directly into it, you would turn the yoke left so that the left ailerons go up and the right ailerons go down. The easy way to remember that is to fly directly into a headwind. So if the headwind's straight on, then you don't have anything to do. If the headwind's to the right, you want to turn to the right. If a headwind's to the left, you want to turn to the left. And then you want to dive directly out of a tailwind. So you want to fly away from the tailwind or directly out of a tailwind. So in the direction of the wind. And then, but you want to dive as well. We have a figure here that shows wind coming from your right in a headwind, wind coming from the left in a headwind, and it's all kind of color coordinated. And then we have the tailwind from the left, tailwind from the right. And it says, so in the headwind from the left, you fly directly into headwind with left ailerons up. Headwind from the right, you fly directly into headwind with right ailerons up. For a left tailwind, tailwind from the left side, dive directly out of tailwind with left ailerons down and down elevator, which is a pitch down. And then tailwind from the right, dive directly out of tailwind with right ailerons down and down elevator, which is again, pitched down. So we have that figure uh, really helpful to uh, remember. 
But the key thing is to remember, fly directly into a headwind and dive directly out of a tailwind. For a tailwheel aircraft, it is almost identical with just a couple slight differences. And now I want to talk about tailwheel because the FAA written ask a little bit more on tailwheel aircraft because I think they're seeing the popularity of tailwheel increase a little bit. And so more people are flying them. And so they're going to ask some questions. So it's unfortunate that if you don't fly a tailwheel that you're going to have to know these questions too. But so it's just more to know, but that's okay. Once you'll know, then maybe you'll be able to go get a tailwheel endorsement later on and experience how it is to fly those. But anyways, so you're going to want to know what the difference is. And an easy way to remember wind corrections for a tailwheel aircraft is to climb directly into a headwind and dive directly out of a tailwind. So the only difference from the nosewheel aircraft was that you climb into the headwinds rather than fly levels. In a nosewheel, we just flew directly into a headwind. But in a tailwheel, we will also want to climb. So that means we're going to have some sort of elevator control like we do on a tailwind. So that's the only difference, right? So in a tailwheel, again, we have a picture here for the tailwheel. We're going to climb. So a headwind from the left, we're going to climb directly into headwind with left ailerons up and up elevator. Because we want to pitch up. We want to climb into that. So we want to pitch up and then turn to the left into that climb directly and then for headwind to the right we're going to climb directly into headwind with right ailerons up and up elevator again pitch up for a left tailwind we're going to dive directly out of tailwind with left ailerons down and down elevator that's pitch down and the tailwind from the right dive directly out of tailwind with right ailerons down and down elevator again pitch down so the tailwind corrections are no different whether it's nose wheel or tailwheel and then but we want to climb in a tailwheel for headwinds as well as turn into them. And this difference is simply due because you don't have the weight on the nose like you do on a nose wheel. So you're susceptible to tipping that nose over um, in a tailwheel aircraft. So we got to kind of keep that from happening. A couple more notes about tailwheel aircraft and taxiing. When there is no wind or a light tailwind, the wake of the propeller during taxi may be enough for a headwind effect to give the horizontal stabilizer enough lift that the tail lifts off the ground. Therefore, with a tailwheel aircraft, it is advised to use elevator up or pitch up with no wind or light tailwinds to avoid a nose over. Similarly, a nose heavy CG condition in a tailwheel aircraft can cause nose over tendencies simply by applying the brake while taxing. So again, we talk about the difference here is on that nose wheel, you have that nose wheel is bearing the weight of the aircraft on the nose. On a tailwheel aircraft, you don't have that. So if you step on the brakes too fast, your momentum could tip your nose into the ground. And then also if you have even just from the propeller wash or a headwind, the reason why we want to climb is to keep that tail on the ground. We don't want that tail to lift up. If we were to have like a dive controls or no controls in, that tail might get enough lift to lift up the tail and then again drop our nose and propeller into the ground. So we really want to avoid that in a tailwheel aircraft. Additionally, there is an additional phenomenon with tail aircraft taxiing that is worth talking about, and you might be asked on the written exam. Tailwheel airplanes have an exaggerated tendency to weather vane or turn into the wind. So if you know a weather vane, it's like this fin that when whichever direction the wind is blowing, it's going to force that to point in the direction of the wind that tells you where the wind's coming from, right? That's the whole point of a weather vane. Well, tailwheel aircraft tend to do the same exact thing. They turn into the wind when operated on the ground in crosswinds. This tendency is greatest when taxiing with a direct crosswind because uh, it's kind of going to push the tail and then because the tail has a tailwheel, 
the tail can actually move because it's going to push that vertical surface on the tail, the vertical tail. It's going to push on that. And so the tail wheel can actually move and it can actually kind of point in the direction of the wind. It's going to weather vane. So it'll sometimes require the use of brakes when tail wheel steering alone proves inadequate to counteract the weather vane effect. Again, you want to use the rudder to counteract that. So if the wind's crosswind to your right, your aircraft's going to want to turn to the right. So you would want to turn to the left and kind of counteract that. You kind of feel that happening. And then eventually, if it's strong enough, you might just have to put on the brakes. But just remember, if you're moving fast, you don't want to put on the brakes too fast because you can then tip your, your nose over in a tailwheel. So a lot of different things with taxiing. Tailwheels are difficult to taxi. That's the one thing about them. They, they can be cool, fun to fly. I know a lot of people like them, but they do have more difficulties in taxiing. But once you get used to it, they're pretty fun. So lastly, tailwheel airplanes are also susceptible to what is known as ground looping. So one more kind of taxiing thing. With tailwheels, this occurs when directional control is lost by the pilot and the tail passes outside the center of gravity, causing the aircraft to spin. This can cause wingtip strikes or other aircraft damage. So if you're taxiing along and uh, you kind of lose control and the momentum of the aircraft and the tail passes, like if you turn and weather vane too much and you're still kind of have that momentum, you can just kind of spin around and definitely not something you want to do that could be embarrassing to to have that happen to you so you want to avoid that as much as possible all right so those are the things ground looping weather veining and then you know having a nose heavy cg or stomping on the brakes can cause the tip over and the differences in taxi wing corrections for tailwheel and headwind so that is it for this lesson and for this episode kind of a couple short lessons but that's okay we have now finished our section wow this section was a lot better and quicker then our section on cross-country planning, which felt like it took forever. So we're done with section 13. We will move on to section 14 of the ground school. We just have section 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 left to go. So that's, if you want to kind of get a sneak peek, it's airport operations, it's pilot control and ground reference maneuvers, navigation, emergencies, and night operations. So section 14 is on airport operations. We have 12 lessons in there. So we're going to get into airport information, communications, flight service stations and control centers and all that stuff. And then I mentioned I'm planning a bonus episode on communications somewhere around like some examples of talking to ATC. So I got to come up with what I want to do for that. But that should be a pretty helpful episode there. So until next week, I will talk to you guys later. Thank you so much for listening. Please don't remember to leave us a review, subscribe, all that stuff. Like us. It really, really helps us out and get seen. So I appreciate you guys. All right. Talk to you later. Hey, guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times, and then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? 
Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. If we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth, even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast. You can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time fly a plane for the first time everything's great and dandy but once you get into you know bad weather flying or flying at heavy heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight things get a little more advanced and when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts you're gonna hit a wall you're gonna start to get behind the aircraft and when this happens if you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're going to say, okay, we need to do one-on-one -on -one ground lessons. And now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead $50, $60, $70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. And, and the worst part is, is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gained, the currency, the proficiency that you gained is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft they start making mistakes and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again and they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family they finally say you know what this has to stop we can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress you know and they end up quitting now so how do we avoid that well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. And when I say modern day student pilot, I should say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24-7, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school. We have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You wanna avoid being boring, you wanna avoid that burnout. So how we do that is we present our material in multiple, multiple ways. And you're actually listening to one of them right now. You can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording. You can do this while you're running, while you're driving in traffic. Again, tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot. Or you can read through our written lessons. You know, I like to read, so for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons. You can see the step-by-step -step examples and the procedures that we have. 
or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices have that visual cue those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding or you can watch our videos or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned and then finally you can join us live weekly for our live q a and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time and then finally you can utilize our group community to form study groups get questions answered 24 7. all of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting keep it from being boring keep from having that burnout and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule and guess what it works we've had over 350 student pilots come through take and pass their faa exams without a single student failing that's right a single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English, and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested in and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on Online Ground School, and we'll see you inside the Online Ground School. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.